Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Dean Edwards, and I'll be uh, reading today's sermon text. If you would uh, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, and for those of you who don't have one, there should be Bibles in the chairs in front of you somewhere. And if you don't possess a Bible, feel free to take this one as a, as a gift from us here at the church. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet like one of the prophets from long ago. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded has been raised. For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. An opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. He promised her with an oath, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, she said. At once she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. Although the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths and the guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard about it, they came and removed his corpse and placed it in a tomb. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this opportunity today to come and worship you. And as Jonathan brings a message today from this text, I pray that your spirit will touch our minds and hearts so that we might know what you would have us learn from this passage. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Dean. Appreciate you reading God's word. Thank you, worship team and uh, hospitality team, sound, sound booth, everyone involved this morning. Do you ever, do you ever uh, turn on the news and get surprised anymore? I mean, isn't it, isn't it kind of like you're just waiting for what's the next thing, right? It's, it, and, and then the next day there's something else and you just kind of shake your head and, and go on. I think the world's always been like that. And, um, but this passage is, is pretty crazy, right? It's pretty remarkable. And... Um, speaks to the time that, that they were living in as well. So there was this, um, there were things going on that were, gonna, that were taking place that were soon to change the course of history and civilization. The long-awaited Messiah was on the scene preaching, dri- driving out demons and healing. And very soon, events were going to coalesce on a hill nearby called Calvary. So if you go back to the beginning of the book of Mark, which Dean just read, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it said, after John was arrested, so before this, this passage here, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I want to read that part again. Repent and believe the good news. John had gone to prepare the way for Jesus. And now there's this buzz in the countryside, right? I mean, there's no TV, there's no internet, there's no radio, there's no social media. But people were seeing things. They were seeing miracles take place. They were hearing the teaching of Jesus and the authority with which he preached. And so there's this buzz, and it caught, of course, the the ear of of the leader of the time, Herod. So, but first of all, who was who was John the Baptist? And I'm just kind of curious. You can shout it out if you want, but what, what, what's a couple things that you know about John the Baptist? They're pretty common. He lived in the wilderness. He ate locusts, honey, dressed on camel. I mean, right? That's the, that's the, that's the thing that comes to mind. Um, he, preached, he preached repentance. Yes. Um, those, those things are, are uh, things that come to my mind right away, too. So just a few things. Um, he was a son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and uh, when Mary, if you remember from the story, when Mary was informed by the angel that she was pregnant with the Messiah, she ran to, to Elizabeth, and when she did, and Mary heard, um, and Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, John leapt, said, leapt in the womb, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, so from, from back there. He was a voice one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. And that's from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. So he was prof- already had been prophesied about in the Bible. Jesus said of him in, in Matthew 11, he's more than a prophet, and among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. So John was 
a key figure, the, the greatest of the prophets. And King Herod heard about him because of the works of Jesus and because his fame had spread. So who was King Herod? You probably heard that name. Either in the story of the birth of Christ or in, in his crucifixion. There are actually several Herods back then. The first Herod was called Herod the Great. And he ruled from about 30, 30 some BC to about somewhere between one and, one and four BC. He was the Herod of the three wise men. Do you remember the three, the, or we don't know if there are three, the wise men that visited from the east and were seeking, were following the star, seeking the Messiah. And then they were warmed in a, warmed in a dream not to return to Herod. And when Herod heard this, because they had made a vow to come back or told him that he were going to come back and, and see him after they found the Messiah. But they were warned in a dream, and so they didn't. They, they went off, and this made Herod furious. And so he ordered the massacre of the innocents, and he had all the boys aged about two years old and younger massacred because he wanted around, all, all the ones around Bethlehem because he didn't want this Messiah. He strove to, to make a name for himself, undergoing massive building projects. So we have a slide of one, I think, here. This is Herodium, and this is still being excavated to this day, but this was a, basically a, a mountaintop palace that he built for himself. They're still finding things on this. Um, I mean, look at the, the scale of this. And there are, there are other things. Um, probably the most famous is, is the, the Temple Mount. So he had the temple actually expanded and renovated, not for the glory of God, but for his own glory. So he made it bigger. And so the Western Wall, or the Wailing Wall that you see in the news and, and people praying there, that was the base of that was part of, of his, um, his initiative. Uh, Herod died an excruciating death, suffered a painful, terrible illness, like stomach and all kinds of terrible things. He actually even tried to com commit suicide at one point by stabbing himself. That's how much pain he was in. And the, his death was, became known as Herod's evil. He had many wives and children, many wives and children. Side note here. Th think of the, like a family tree that you know, maybe your own or some of you know, and then this family tree... You're not, you can't even, you can't even follow it. It's so, so, so messed up. Because he had all these different wives and different children and children under different wives and who was going to be the heir. And, and so um, it, was, it was pretty messed up. So from this family comes the Herod of our story that Dean just read, the Herod of the crucifixion account. He was called Herod Antipas. And he was one of the sons of Herod the Great, but he, he's not really a king. They use that term king as kind of colloquial, casual phrase meaning leader, but he was a, a, what's called a tetrarch. Um, he was a ruler of about a fourth of the region of, he had Galilee and Perea, so um, kind of the Jordan River, he had two different sections of that, client state of the Roman Empire. So that's this Herod, Herod Antipas. And so there's going to be, um, we, we, we talked about Herod hearing about Jesus, and they're going to have a couple of confrontations here in the future. So Jesus' name spread. Again, no media. People heard about who he was. And so they were speculating who was Jesus. Some thought that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, the part that uh, we're going to get to. And 
because of the power and the authority which, with which Jesus was speaking. Now think about that. Think about the level of faith it would take to think that someone who had been beheaded had been brought back to life. Um, but even, even Herod did. Others thought that he was the prophet Elijah. Um, and, and this is really significant because Elijah was the, was the main Old Testament prophet. You might remember him um, standing up to um, the evil leader, evil king Ahab and his wife Jezebel. He um, condemned the worship of Baal. And there was prophecy. We read the one prophecy from, from, from Isaiah chapter 40. Then there was the prophecy in Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 um, prophesying the return of Elijah. And so people were thinking, is this, is this Elijah? So all this, of course, made Herod very nervous because he's the leader. And then he hears this buzz of someone with authority, and that makes a corrupt leader really, really nervous, right? Territorial and, and uh, got, his, got his ears up. So, but at the same time, he, he, was, he was very nervous and terrified because he thought that John the Baptist, who he had beheaded, had been raised from the dead. So even, even this leader believed that. And he was scared because he knew. He knew what happened, which Dean just read. He knew what happened, and his guilty conscience was over, overwhelmed. You know, he probably put it out of his mind for a while, right? He'd been beheaded. Okay, that, that deed was done. Things go on. Then this word about Jesus, and he's like, oh, no. I, I, I treated this righteous man terribly, and now he may, he may have come back to life. So at this point in the story is where we flash back to what happened to John. So I'm going to read in, in chapter 6, verse, I'll start with verse 17. So the context again, we are preaching that people should repent. That's what Jesus was preaching. So verses, verse 17 and 18. For Herod himself had given, given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias his brother Philip's wife, because he married her. John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And, and that's really even an understatement. For one, it was, um, it, she, it was a, a, a marriage where he's marrying his brother's wife, which is against, against the law. It was her half-uncle, Herod II, called Philip, who she was married to. I mean, even, even the... Even the family of Herod the Great saw this arrangement and were like, you know, this is really messed up, right? This is bad. I mean, even they saw that. So you had a couple divorces, remarriage, which is against Jewish law, but because it was her half-uncle, the marriage was incestuous. And then note the phrase that said John had been telling. John had been telling Herod. He was not only speaking truth in public, but he was apparently in close enough proximity to, to Herod to tell him personally. Again, remember, Herod liked to listen to John speak. So John was bold. So we see that John literally stuck his neck out to speak the truth and confront evil. And Herod did not like this. But if Herod didn't like it, his wife certainly didn't either. Verse 19. So Herodias 
held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. So Herodias had this grudge, wanted to kill John. So imagine being so infuriated with, imagine someone so infuriated with your behavior that they wanted you dead. But the behavior wasn't something you did, it was just something you said, and yet they wanted you dead. In fact, what you said wasn't even controversial. As I said before, his own, Herod the Great's own family opposed this marriage to her half-uncle. So it wasn't like they were nitpicking, so to speak. They're like, John said, this is, this is bad. She didn't like that. And yet she could not do anything because Herod Antipas saw something in John and protected him. Though he was in prison, the righteousness of John shone forth. Herod was perplexed and liked to listen to him. When someone speaks truth, it lives with authenticity. Even an evil person can see it. They understand the value. And I, th- I thought about you know, Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. You know, something about the authority that they had and the way they lived that even the king wanted to keep them around. He recognized that. So for now, he protected John's life, if not his freedom. I'm going to read verse 21. An opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. He promised her with an oath, whatever you ask me, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. So note the occasion and the audience. It's his birthday. It's an, it's an opportunity to assemble the who's who of his jurisdiction. So he had military leaders, nobles, all these, these bigwigs, if you will, assembled in, the, in this great banquet hall. So there would be, what, the greatest choices food available, the best wine available. And there would be some pretty stout conversation. There would be bravado, boasting, people measuring up with one another. And into this scene comes Herod's own stepdaughter, dancing, and a pleased Herod and his guests. Have you ever really thought about this scenario? I mean, we kind of have read this many times, and, you know, this girl was probably in her teens. Think, think back to a time, if you've ever gone to a dance before, um, maybe you've, you've you're in the school and you've helped chaperone or whatever. Usually when there's a, or maybe it's a wedding or something or even at a, you know, dance hall or something. Usually there's a lot of trepidation with dancing, right? It usually takes one or two people to kind of get out there and get things going. Most people like to sit back until the floor is full. They kind of ease their way in. And then there's always, in modern times, that one YouTuber that practiced the dance all year and they get out there, right? And they film it. But most people are pretty, pretty hesitant. They don't want to be in the spotlight. So, um, so imagine the audaciousness and the fearlessness of this girl 
probably a teenager, but one of prominent parents, to not only to dance in front of these leading men, something that would be unheard of in her position because her parents were the parents of authority. It wasn't what happened. They would have maybe some higher dancers that would come out, but not, not the Tetrarch's own daughter and, and, and his wife's daughter to do that. It was, it was unheard of. But, but she did it in undoubtedly enough of a sensual way to please the audience, including, including her own stepfather. And so who put her up to this? I mean, do you think she just like started, went out there and started dancing? I don't think so. She, she probably was prepared uh, for that moment from, from her mom, and encouraged to, to do that, maybe her dad. So she would have had practiced this, this kind of dancing already. I mean, shouldn't her parents and the guests have been embarrassed? I mean, you wouldn't sit there oogling at the situation. You'd hopefully, well, what, what are you doing out here, right? But that's not how they reacted. It triggered something in Herod and it triggered something in those guests. So, I mean, imagine a young girl or boy being used in a sexual way by their parents, nurturing their child's own ego and pride so that they could feed theirs. Do you see where this is going? Do you see where this, where the parallel in our society today? This, type of behave, this is the type of behavior which Jesus called us to repent of. This is the type of behavior that John was admonishing. This is the type he was speaking up about. And, it, and it, John, John's existence crashed the party. Verses 24. So she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, she said. No hesitation. She knew, she knew what she wanted right away. He was so much in her head, right? At least there's a phrase that you hear so much in your head space or whatever. He, John the Baptist, who was in jail, was so much in Herodias' head space that she didn't even hesitate. She knew she wanted him gone. Although the king was deeply distressed, and I, I'm not a Greek or Arabic or Hebrew scholar, but the, the anguish there is it's almost like the anguish of when Jesus prayed at uh, Gethsemane. Is a, is a deep anguish. He knew, he knew he was in trouble with that request. He, he was trapped. Because of his oaths and his guess, he did not want to refuse her. So some, some people suggest the whole thing was a setup that Herodias you know, sent, the, sent her daughter out to, with the intent to um, see Herod offer anything and then she could get John the Baptist's head. That, that could be true. I, I don't know that that's true. I don't know if there's a way that she could have predicted how Herod would react. But either way, Herod was now pinned down. Herodias knew exactly what she wanted. She didn't want that prophet's words or even his existence weighing on her conscience. She was so obsessed with killing John, so consumed with hatred, that when the opportunity to have him killed, or opportunity arose to have him killed, she didn't hesitate. She wanted it to end and was ruthless enough to see that it happened. And Herod was concerned. So now his ego and his vow got the best of him. To renege on this vow would mean great personal humiliation. The guests would leave on a down note, 
And then all the talk would be how Herod the Tetrarch broke his vow to his stepdaughter, the, the, the big audacious vow that he made. To go through with the execution meant Herod would be snuffing out the light of a holy man, a righteous man, to violate the last remnants of his conscience. Well, and you know what he did. Verse 27, the king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went, beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. The vow was fulfilled. He sent, it says, immediately for an executioner. In those times, an executioner would be someone who would basically be on call, would be retained, and, and could be summoned at a moment's notice. So the executioner says, brought John's head on a platter, gave it to the girl. So he must have had some kind of knowledge of what was happening at the time. Gave it to the girl who offered it to her mother. A ghastly scene that applied balm to the fiery conscience of Herodias. The long-desired deed is done. The daughter was used to ex excite the guests. The daughter was used an accessory in an execution of a righteous man. Problem solved. Conscience cleared now, right? See, if you would have just kept silent, this wouldn't have happened to you. So we go back to Jesus' fame spreading throughout the land at the beginning of this passage, and Herod is terrified. The memory of that night suppressed for a time, came roaring back. But once he realized, in fact, it wasn't John, the conscience that may have been rekindled was snuffed out. Later, recorded in Luke chapter 13, the Pharisees warned Jesus, go, get out of here, Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied, go tell that fox, look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will complete my work. This is Jesus relaying a message to the one who had his cousin killed, the great prophet John the Baptist. And then when Jesus stood before Herod, after Pilate shipped him over to Herod, and failed to perform a miracle or even to speak to him after prompting, he wanted Jesus to perform a miracle or say something, as recorded in Luke 23, Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt, mocked him, dressed him in bright clothing, and sent him back to Pilate. So sadly, though given many opportunities, Herod didn't repent. Instead, he killed the greatest prophet of all, the one who warned him, and the very Son of God, the one who could save him. This type of behavior um, isn't limited to people of the world. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul issued a very stern warning to the Corinthian church about dealing with a member who was deep in sin. And I don't have a slide, but I'm going to read it. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife 
and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this? Even though I am absent in the body, I am present in the spirit. And as one who is present with you in this way, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has been doing such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Even by kicking him out of the church, Paul's goal was to save him. That's why Jesus came, to seek and save the lost. He didn't come to, to, to help the, he- the healthy. He came to help us, those who need it. That's the good news. That's the good news that John was proclaiming. That's the good news that Jesus came proclaiming. But the conscience, right? He says, don't, he says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So, Paul issues this warning, and Paul didn't mince words, and he instructed the church how to, on how to deal with it. But the, the case in this ending was much different than the case with Herod. There's good news and a good ending to this one. The believer did repent, and Paul instructed the church to forgive and comfort him. That's the model. Repent and believe and receive salvation. Satan schemes against us. He works so hard, doesn't he? He works so hard to trick us and blind us. And we must be ready, alert and ready to confront and love and forgive. This is the message the world needs to hear and we're charged to share this good news. And I want, I want to say, church, um, it's not easy. There are, there are all kinds of pressures against us in society, at school, at work, in the, in the workplace, in government, in relationships and friendships, even families, to compromise, to back down. And, and isn't it easy just to be quiet, just to, just to keep our mouth shut? And maybe we don't agree with it, but maybe we don't disagree either. But God, guys, the, Christ has placed us at, at this time to be salt and light in the world. Amen. It's, it's not easy. But that's our calling. And the world needs it. Yeah. The, world, the world needs it so badly. I think we all see what's, what, what's going on in, in, the, in society and in the world. I want to make sure... Whatever we do, we do in love. We don't need to be strident. We don't need to be arrogant. We don't need to yell and scream. But we do need to speak up for truth. We could do it meekly. And sometimes just a meek response is enough. And in the case with Herodias, just John's existence was enough for her to be convicted. So I think we're going to be tested, as has been the case of the history of the church and all around the world, and that's okay. 
But stay strong. Don't bend. Do it in love. And I want to conclude the passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is verses 14 through 17. So after Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church addressing this, this behavior in the church, and the man repents. See, he writes this. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in Christ's triumphant, triumphal procession, and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ, as from God and before God. Worship team, will you come up, please? Let's pray together. Father, you've called us to be salt and light. As Paul led us in prayer earlier, I ask, Father, your spirit would move in us, that you would embolden us, strengthen us, give us courage to stand for truth, to speak what's right and true, to be faithful to the calling you've given us. And Heavenly Father, may we always do it in love and sincerity and meekness and bring glory to your name and spread the good news that you have redeemed this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.